Hello, friends and seekers, welcome to another enlightening episode of Christianity Unmasked. I'm your host, Jamal Bob, and today we're diving into one of the most intriguing, mysterious, and foundational topics in Christian theology, the concept of the Trinity. Whether you've grown up hearing about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, or you're just curious about what these terms mean, you're in the right place. We're going to explore this complex topic through the lens of the Bible itself. We'll examine key passages, unravel historical context, and even address some common misunderstandings. Before we get started, a quick reminder, no matter what your faith background is, there's something to learn here. The Trinity isn't just a Christian concept, it's a window into understanding how billions of people see the divine, the world, and themselves. So stick around, it's going to be a fascinating ride. The concept of the Trinity is one of the most profound and unique teachings in Christian theology. At its core the doctrine posits that there is one God who exists, as three distinct yet co-equal and co-eternal persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is not to be confused with polytheism, as Christians believe in one God, not three separate gods. Each person of the Trinity is fully divine, sharing the same attributes, but each also has roles or functions that distinguish them from the others. The concept often appears paradoxical to human logic, and for good reason. How can one being exist in three persons? It challenges our finite understanding of personhood, and being, making it a subject of ongoing theological reflection. Theologians often refer to the Trinity as a divine mystery, not because it is an unsolvable riddle, but because it is a reality that exceeds human comprehension, yet can be apprehended to some extent through faith and theological inquiry. While the term Trinity is not explicitly found in the Bible, the theological foundation for it is woven throughout both the Old and New Testaments. From the plural pronouns used for God in the creation narrative of Genesis to the baptismal formula in Matthew 28, 19, there are numerous scriptural passages that have been understood to support the concept. Moreover, the interactions between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, such as at Jesus' baptism, are seen as evidences of the Trinitarian nature of the Christian God. The doctrine was further developed in the early church councils, most notably the councils of Nicaea and Constantinople, to clarify its meaning and fend off heretical interpretations. Understanding the Trinity is vital for understanding the Christian concept of God, the work of salvation, and the relational dynamics of the divine. It's a topic that invites not just intellectual engagement, but also awe and wonder at the complexity and unity of the divine nature. Now, let's turn to the Bible. It's interesting to note that the term Trinity never appears in the Bible. So, where does this idea come from? The concept of the Trinity, although not explicitly named as such, is deeply embedded within the biblical texts, both Old and New Testaments. In the Old Testament, one of the key verses often cited is Genesis 1.26, where God says, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. The plural pronouns us and our have captivated theologians for centuries. While some attribute the plurality to a royal we, others see this as a subtle indicator of the multipersonal nature of God, hinting at the Trinity. Additionally, in the famous episode of the burning bush, God uses the term I am to describe himself, a term that Jesus later applies to himself in the New Testament, suggesting a divine identity. The New Testament provides clearer glimpses into the Trinitarian nature of God. In the Gospel of Matthew, the baptism of Jesus showcases all three persons of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. As Jesus is baptized, the Holy Spirit descends like a dove, and the Father's voice from heaven declares, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Another key verse is the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19, where Jesus instructs his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Here, the equal standing and unity of the three persons are emphasized. Moreover, Paul's benediction in 2 Corinthians 13:14 encapsulates the Trinity. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. 
This blessing reflects the distinct roles yet unified nature of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. So, while the term Trinity does not appear in the Bible, the concept is deeply rooted in its pages. The Old Testament provides foreshadowing, and the New Testament brings it into sharper focus, illustrating how the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are distinct yet inseparably one in the divine nature. The early Christian church grappled significantly with the concept of the Trinity, as it sought to articulate its understanding of the nature of God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. During the first few centuries of the Common Era, Christians found themselves in intense debates, defending their beliefs from both non-Christian critics and internal heresies. Various interpretations and misunderstandings about the Trinity led to a number of heresies, which in turn provoked the Church to clarify its position. One notable heresy was Arianism, named after Arius, a priest from Alexandria. Arius contended that Jesus, the Son, was not co-eternal with the Father, and was, therefore, a subordinate and distinct entity. This teaching was met with significant opposition, especially from Athanasius of Alexandria, who argued for the co-equality and co-eternality of the Father and the Son. The Arian controversy was one of the main issues dealt with at the Council of Nicaea in the year 325. The Nicene Creed, formulated at this council, expressly used the term consubstantial to describe the Father and the Son, directly countering Arian beliefs. Another key milestone was the Council of Constantinople, in 381 AD, which expanded upon the Nicene Creed and included a more thorough exposition on the role of the Holy Spirit, affirming His divinity and equality within the Godhead. These councils didn't invent the concept of the Trinity, but sought to articulate, in a systematic and unified way, what the biblical texts were understood to be teaching. Thus, the early Church's understanding of the Trinity was a complex journey involving debates, councils, and creeds. It was driven by the need to reconcile the scriptural portrayals of God the Father, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit in a way that was consistent, doctrinally sound, and reflective of the Church's experience of God in three persons. Over time, this led to the more formalized, orthodox understanding of the Trinity that has been passed down through Christian history. The doctrine of the Trinity holds immense significance for various aspects of Christian faith and practice, serving as a cornerstone for understanding God, the process of salvation, and the principles of Christian living. Firstly, the Trinity offers a framework for understanding the nature of God in as complete a manner as humanly possible. It allows Christians to grasp the multifaceted character of God as Father, the Creator, and sustainer, as Son, the Redeemer and Friend, and as Holy Spirit, the Comforter and Empowerer. This Trinitarian view of God reveals a being that is relational at its core, inviting humanity into a complex and intimate relationship with the Divine. Secondly, the concept of the Trinity is crucial for understanding salvation in Christian theology. According to Christian belief, each person of the Trinity plays a specific role in the process of salvation. The Father sends the Son into the world. The Son willingly comes to accomplish the redemption of humanity through His life, death, and resurrection, and the Holy Spirit applies the work of salvation to individual lives, guiding them towards truth and sanctification. The united yet distinct roles of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in salvation underscore the complexity and completeness of God's redemptive plan for humanity. Finally, understanding the Trinity has practical implications for Christian living. The relational aspect of the Trinity serves as a model for human relationships, emphasizing unity, in diversity. In a Trinitarian framework, individual uniqueness coexists with a commitment to communal well-being and love, a principle that can be applied to family life, friendships, and even international relations. Moreover, the distinct roles of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit provide a basis for understanding and practicing different aspects of spirituality such as prayer, worship, and service. For example, many Christians pray to the Father, through the Son, in the power of the Holy Spirit, 
thereby involving all persons of the Trinity in their spiritual practices. In summary, the doctrine of the Trinity is not merely an abstract theological concept, but a vital belief that influences our understanding of God, shapes the Christian narrative of salvation, and informs the ethics and practices of Christian living. The doctrine of the Trinity, while foundational to Christian theology, is often subject to various misconceptions. Understanding these can help clarify what the doctrine actually asserts. Here are some common misconceptions. 1. It's not polytheism. One of the most widespread misunderstandings is that the Trinity suggests polytheism, the belief in multiple gods. In reality, Christian doctrine firmly maintains monotheism, the belief in one God. The Trinitarian formula posits one God in three persons, not three separate gods. Each person is fully God and shares the same divine nature, yet they are not identical to one another. This can be mind-bending, but is vastly different from polytheism, where each God has a separate nature, and often a specific realm of influence. 2. Not three modes are forms. Another common misconception is modalism, the belief that God exists in three different modes or forms, switching roles as needed. According to this view, God might appear as the Father in one situation, the Son in another, and the Holy Spirit in yet another, but not simultaneously. This interpretation, however, undermines the relational and communal aspects of the Trinity, as shown in the Bible, where all three persons interact with each other and with humanity. For instance, at Jesus' baptism, the Father speaks from heaven, the Son is being baptized, and the Holy Spirit descends like a dove, all at the same time. 3. Equal but distinct. It's often thought that if the persons of the Trinity are distinct, then they must have varying degrees of divinity or importance. This is incorrect. According to Trinitarian doctrine, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are co-equal and co-eternal, sharing the same divine attributes. However, they do have distinct roles in the divine economy. For example, it's generally understood that the Father is the Creator, the Son is the Redeemer, and the Holy Spirit is the Sustainer. These roles do not imply inequality, but show a loving division of labor within the Godhead. Clarifying these misconceptions not only helps in understanding what the Trinity is but also deepens one's appreciation for this complex yet beautiful doctrine. The Trinity is not a theological puzzle to be solved, but a divine relationship to be explored and experienced. Even after all of this there may be people who still do not fully understand, and personally, I think that is okay. God is someone who operates on a level beyond our comprehension so I do not think we will ever truly understand God. All we can do is have a good idea of who he is. As human beings we live our lives every day not fully understanding things. For example, men and women spend most of their lives never truly understanding each other mainly because of the vast complex differences that exist between the two. I am also not the first to admit that even I do not truly know what God is but I am aware of what he is not and I can provide some clarity. I think as humans we love to rationalize everything around us in an attempt to search for the truth or feel that we are in control by understanding the situation. But I think being limited as humans and living on the earth we simply have no method of fully understanding the Trinity, which ends up leaving many flustered. We've delved into the fascinating and intricate topic of the Trinity, a doctrine that is both central to Christian theology and impactful for our understanding of God, salvation, and how we live our lives. We've seen how the concept of the Trinity finds its roots in both the Old and New Testaments, offering a richer, more complex portrayal of God's nature. And we've explored the historical development and significance of this doctrine, while also addressing some common misconceptions. Remember, it's not polytheism, it's not God in three modes, and all persons of the Trinity are both equal and distinct. Understanding the Trinity is not just a theological exercise, it has practical implications for our lives and our relationships. It invites us into a more dynamic and relational experience with the divine, and it challenges us to reflect that divine love and unity in our interactions with others. I want to thank each and every one of you for tuning into today's episode. 
If you found this enlightening, or if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions for future topics, we would love to hear from you. Feel free to reach out via our social media channels, or by email. Who knows, your question or topic could be the focus of a future episode.